This is the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones, and I'm the Well-Seasoned Librarian, and today this is Season 4, Episode 7. can't believe how fast the season's going through, and I'm really happy to be able to release this episode, as it's a one of my favorite conversations I've had recently, uh, getting to talk with Jenk Somnasoy of the Artful Baker Cookbook, which, if you've seen it, you know, it's a gorgeous, lush cookbook with amazing, very precise, very uh, specific recipes with a lot of just amazing uh, food writing included, as well as, as I've said, the photography that Jenk did himself is just fantastic. It's phenomenal. Um, you may also know him from the Cafe Fernando website, which is famous, where he's uh, put his recipes as well. Um, Jenk was a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, he is actually educated here in the Bay Area where I live, and um, he went to school here to study business, but uh, food and uh, cooking was his passion, and it led him to have success with the Kathy Fernando uh, website, and then ultimately for the Artful Baker Cookbook, which is acclaimed. I'd actually been recommended um, to Jenk by uh, another food writer who is very famous. Uh, his esteem is that high, and people really do hold him in high regard. And uh, once you see his work and read his work, you'll, you'll know exactly why. I'm not going to delay any further. Uh, it's a wonderful conversation with a very charming person, and I think you're going to enjoy it very much. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Jenk Senmasoy here to talk about his cookbook, The Artful Baker. Jenk, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me, Dan. Well, I, I really enjoyed The Artful Baker. Um, I know that anybody else who's read it felt the same way about it. It's a very passionate book, and it's not something that's clinical at all. It's, it's got a lot of personality in it. It's got a lot of soul to it. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could tell our audience who's not in, not familiar with you a little bit of, about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm the author of The Artful Baker and um, creator of the food blog, cafefernando.com. Um, I don't write for my blog too often these days, uh, but I'm constantly working on new recipes for future books. Um, I also work freelance as a food stylist and photographer, uh, and I live in Istanbul. Thank you. Now, when you, in your book, you talked about your time working for the corporate world in San Francisco, where I worked for many mm -hmm. years and where I lived by, um, before turning to baking as a career. How did that come about for you? Um, after I got my MBA degree from the University of San Francisco, I worked at a high-tech PR agency in North Beach for several years and later moved back to Istanbul. Um, here, I worked at Samsung Electronics for a while and then at my father's ad agency. Um, I was reunited with my family and friends, but I struggled with adapting to my new life. Um, I missed San Francisco so much. Um, Back then, the Exploratorium Museum was at the uh, Palace of Fine Arts. Right. And they were broadcasting live images of my old neighborhood from its roof cameras oh, uh, wow. in the marina. Yeah, I could see glimpses of Alcatraz, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and I remember having a small window um, on the corner of my screen at all times, watching seagulls, people passing by cars. And then I started walking the streets by using Google Maps um, Street View Future and spent hours looking at rentals at Craigslist, uh, which I still do to this day, by the way. Um, 
in short, I mean, my body was in an office building, but my mind was always in San Francisco. Um, and I was quite miserable. Um, but luckily, I had started my blog um, when I started working with my family. So when I felt like I couldn't take it anymore, I quit my job to become a full-time blogger, and it all started there. Now, um, what were your first impressions of San Francisco when you first came there? I mean, it's not a user-friendly city necessarily, so it must have been kind of a culture shock for you to be there. Actually, it wasn't what I expected at all, <clears throat> because I remember my student visa was very late and I was, I didn't have time to um, search for a motel or anything like that. So I remember uh, coming from the airport to my motel in outer Richmond and anything like what I um, saw on the web, you know, they always show you the Golden Gate Bridge and all the lights and all the beautiful yeah. places, but the taxi route was somewhat you know the foggy places of the city let's say yeah. and not like picturesque views or anything like that so uh, it wasn't what i expected but after i you know um started living of course i love the city i still love it yeah me too it's like I, my second home yeah i mean i i I read about you talking about where you were and i'm i was saying because I, I worked in that general area i worked off the pier so I spent a lot of time in uh, the North Beach area and Chinatown area, Little Italy, and then, mm -hmm. you know, along the pier and stuff like that. So we probably passed by each other dozens of times and didn't even know it. Probably, yeah. One of the things um, you talk about in your book, The Artful Baker, is you discuss intimately the ideas of cooking for others and cooking for yourself. The way you describe your recipes has a lot of, like, gravitas to it. There's a lot of um, feeling. It's... it's um, a very personal book. It's not clinical or, you know, it's not one of these cut and paste cookbooks you see so often. It's got a lot of soul to it. Um, you seem to also even have like a kind of a tactile sense of memory and feeling. When you wrote The Artful Baker in your blog, Cafe Fernando, did you intend to do that? Like, what was your writing process for that? Actually, at the beginning, I, I remember coming from the publisher after my first meeting and um, I was already thinking on the way home what I should write about because I really didn't have any idea about how to write a book or what to write about. It was going to be baking for sure. But I remember when I came home, I wrote all the recipes that I wanted to include in the book. And it was kind of like a baking handbook. Uh, but by the time I was um, into the book, I mean, um, started developing recipes and stuff like that, it of course evolved into something very personal. And at the end, it wasn't what I intended at all. It was not a baking handbook. It was actually my years starting in San Francisco, leading to where I am now to Istanbul and everything in between. So it's, it was kind of like my um, life story um, and how I became a baker, home baker, and then um, an author actually. Now, I've the many of your butcher book reminded me of the uh, book like water for chocolate in that there was a lot of feeling in the baking and a lot of sense memory um that's it, it, very seemed very personal when you cook for others is that like that for you is that like kind of a very central process when you bake for others not necessarily but um it's different when i'm working on a book um, I pay great attention to storytelling 
and always gravitate to recipes that have some sort of meaning for me. Um, and I have an obsessive and passionate personality, and I think it shows in everything I do. Um, I wanted to talk about the production of The Artful Baker and how mm -hmm. beautiful it is. And I was really surprised to, to read that you had done all the photography and the design of it. It's a gorgeous book. It's the kind of thing you could buy in a museum bookstore because it's so beautiful to look at. And the photography is amazing. You mentioned that you've been hired to do food photography and I'm not surprised because your work is exceptional. Um, did that something, did you have a hard time working with the publisher on that? Like, I know that some publishers are very handsy as far as like mm -hmm. not wanting to let the author have much control. Was that a struggle for you with your publisher or was that something you talked to them about when you started? Um, let's start with the Turkish version of my cookbook, which was published in 2014. So it came first before The Artful Baker. Okay. Um, actually, I, ha I had zero fights with my Turkish publisher because the publishing system is somewhat different here in Turkey. There are no advance payments. So right. you don't agree to anything years before you know starting work, work on the book. Right. Um, in a sense, you sign the agreement the day you give them the manuscript and everything else and since i was also a photographer um i was going to definitely take the photos um for the book but i never thought i would end up designing it as well but when i started you know working with a guy from my um, dad's agency i saw that i was kind of like turning his life into a nightmare so I had to take the matters into my own hands and started, you know, um, designing what I really wanted to see on the pages. So I think it was easier for me to do it from scratch rather than, you know, working with someone else and um, um, trying to find a balance between, you know, two people's um, styles. Um, but when I brought the book to my Turkish publisher, there was no resistance at all. They loved it. and um didn't touch anything uh, so it was published the way i gave it to them and for the english book actually uh, my agent showed the turkish version of my book to my u.s publisher abrams and they loved it they loved the design they loved the photos and they didn't touch anything either so um there were no fights at all you your work is so important, I think, to the book, in fact, because much of it is, I think if people are not familiar with some of the um, products being used or some of the things being used, they might not be willing to even make it because if you're not familiar with tahini, for instance, you might not understand how, how wonderful the tahini um, brownies would be, but you put it in there, like you show the process, you show what you're doing. And it makes it very something you, you want to eat it. You're looking at it and you want to eat it. And like the quince jelly recipe, if you're not familiar with quinces, you might not make, ring any bells for you, but you make mm -hmm. it look very beautiful and inviting. And you even have a picture of a quince and it's like, it makes it kind of a light bulb go over your head. Oh, I want to try this. And I think that was a very important, like your apple pie, for instance, you showed a cross cut section. You just didn't show the pie. And I think that's very important for the reader to see that. And I think many people that make cookbooks miss out on that. Did you think about that when you did it? Like, I really need to have a picture of this to kind of bring it exactly. Home? I think that's what food blogging taught me throughout these years. You get a sense of what people want to see, what they expect and what um, actually motivates them to uh, try your recipe. 
Uh, that was a big education for me. Um, I've been blogging for almost 15 years. So um, yes, I did have all those in mind when producing the book. Um, and I was very lucky actually to find publishers that are on the same page with me because not everyone agrees to have um, one photo per recipe in the books. It's, it's something um, out of the ordinary right now because it's very expensive to produce them. Yeah, I oftentimes I think I've seen cookbooks where they didn't include a photo of something and I've often thought, wow, I wish they would have had that photo. I think it would have helped me and like to conceptualize it. But I know that that's not always possible. I know many, many publishers are like, no, 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 let's get lesser. Let's let's get some of those photos out of there. Yeah, um, but we have to think about also the fact that I am the photographer of the book. So yeah. it's, it's a huge luxury when you hire someone else to um, take photos for your book, you really have, you know, two to three weeks at most to take photographs for all the uh, recipes in the book. But in my case, I worked on my Turkish book for four and a half years. And throughout those years, I was taking photos all the time. So it's, it's definitely a luxury. Um, if I couldn't take photos, this wouldn't have happened at all. Well, I mean, you did such a great job. It's it really is a beautiful book. I can't say that Thank enough you. to people. I mean, it's it's just a treasure, you. something you'd want to have out for people to look at when they visit. I think kind of a coffee table book in a way. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you about your blog, Cafe Fernando. Now you've been blogging for quite a while. You were one of the early bloggers, and you've been doing it for a long time. How did you come to get the idea to start a blog in the first place? Actually, I hadn't baked a thing in my life before I moved um, from San Francisco to Istanbul. Um, and then it was impossible to find even a decent brownie in Istanbul back then. Uh, so I took the matters into my own hands and started baking. Um, and I got into blogging in 2006, um, right around the time I started baking. Um, a few months into my baking adventure, uh, my best friend who was still living in San Francisco uh, sent me an email with a link to her food blog, and I had no idea what a blog was. Um, and then one day, um, I clicked on a link on her blog, and up popped another blog. It was written by a Japanese girl um, named Keiko. She was living in Suffolk, UK, and her photos were beyond compare. I mean, I went through all of her posts in a single day and I was so inspired that I decided to start a blog of my own. Um, for years, I continued blogging uh, while holding a full-time job. And in 2010, I decided to quit my job and became a full-time blogger. I wanted to ask you um, about um, your time in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you what some of your favorite memories of the city are and what some of the favorite restaurants you went to there were. Um, I was actually looking at my old favorite lists and all the blog posts on my um, computer before I started talking to you. And I remember all those places that closed sadly. The last time I was in San Francisco was four or five years during my book tour. Um, and I'm not sure if I remember correctly, but Tonkiang was still open then. Uh, for instance, that was a favorite place of mine. Sadly, it's closed now. There was also a Mexican restaurant right across my studio on Chestnut Street, which is also closed. Um, 
but during my last visit, I really enjoyed Burma Superstar, Rome Burgers, Woodhouse in Japantown, Tartine, of course, Zuni, uh, Dandelion Chocolate, Byright Creamery, and uh, Humphreys Locomb, of course, the ice cream places. Um, my memories of the city, actually, I, I always think I worked too hard. I, even when I was studying um, at the University of San Francisco, I was holding three jobs at the school. I was a teaching assistant, a research assistant, and then an MBA advisor. I worked um, as many hours as my student visa allowed. And right after I graduate, um, I started working uh, at the agency. Um, but on the weekends, we drove around uh, to Sosolito, uh, to Tiburon, and then if we had a few extra days, maybe to Carmel and Big Sur, um, I was very lucky to have uh, friends from Turkey with me. Um, six months with two girlfriends from my college who were there uh, for a certificate program. And then my closest friend in the world, actually, she uh, started studying at the same university with me. Um, we lived together for two years. I remember Ocean Beach, um, Chrissy Fields, um, I used to rollerblade back then, um, all good memories. It's a great city for rollerblading. Boy, those hills must have been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great city to get kind of lost in. I know that I would just wander and go randomly. And it was just so fun mm -hmm. to see different streets and the architecture and the weirdness. You're never uh, bored in San Francisco. You'd always see something. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I saw your, your photos of Chez Panis when you were there. What was that mm -hmm. like visiting Chez Panis? Did you get to eat there? Yes, actually. Um, I ate there and it was definitely a feast to remember. Um, I had planned on writing about my visit because of course I was a blogger and I, of course I was going to write about it on my blog. And even though I inquired about their photo policy, I was really shy when I got there. Um, and I think it showed, but our waiter was very friendly and um, guided me throughout the kitchen and it made it all the, while, all the uh, extra special for me. And I actually got an award for that blog post um, at nice. the cover, um, blog awards for, um, what was the award? Um, best culinary writing or something like that. But it was in 2012, maybe. Oh yeah, so quite a while ago, but yeah, yeah that's a great place. Um, ice cream is a big player in your book, and and you, you write about your love of ice cream. Um, do you think be, living in different places and you know traveling the world, you're you're well traveled. What do you think Americans get right about ice cream, and maybe could learn about ice cream from other countries? 
Um, the places I ate ice creams at were all, of course, all in San Francisco. And I think you get it really, I mean, they were perfect. Um, I remember salted caramel ice cream at Byright, for example, it was perfect. Um, uh, but of course, there's also something called Turkish ice cream, which is really different than custard-based ice creams. And um, I think that's the only thing you guys get wrong, maybe, um, because I see recipes for it in some cookbooks, and they always um, uh, think about the stretchy quality of Turkish ice cream, but there's also something else that's, that makes it Turkish, and that's the dense texture. Um, actually, it's, it's a type of ice cream that's beaten for a long time to um, remove the air out of the ice cream and it, it turns into something else. It's not only stretchy, but also very dense. And if you visit Turkey one day, I really want to show you um, how perfect Tur Turkish ice cream can be, for instance. And that's, that's what's lacking, for instance. I've never seen a Turkish ice cream in, in the US. I really want to visit Turkey one day. I've had friends from Turkey and coworkers from Turkey before, and they would show me mm -hmm. pictures. And I don't think it's ever what people in America think it's going to be like, because I think there's a lot of different varied geography there. And then, there, you know, there's history, but newness too. It's a very cosmopolitan country. And I've had friends that have lived there and they just spoke so well of the Turkish people and were very positive about it. So it's something, it's a place I want to visit. And of course, Istanbul, you know, one of the oldest cities in the world, I would love to visit Istanbul mm -hmm. one day. So if I visited Istanbul, what baked goods or pastries would you recommend other than the ice cream when I try on arrival? Well, of course, baklava and it's all of its cousins, um, yeah. definitely, because that's also something you cannot find in the US. I mean, what they call baklava there isn't the real thing for sure. Yeah. And from that family, my favorite is something called katmer, um, which is a square pastry containing several layers of dough uh, with Turkish clotted cream, sugar, and finally chopped pistachios. Yeah. Um, traditionally, after you roll out the dough into a certain thickness, you start throwing it around over your head like a bed sheet to make it larger and thinner. Uh, and the final dough is as thin as strudel dough. Um, actually, Nick Malgieri has a great recipe in his book, Pastry, um, in addition to several other Turkish baking recipes from the Baklava family as well. Um, another favorite would be called Kazandivi, um, literally translated as bottom of the cauldron. Uh, the starting point is a milky pudding thickened with um, homemade rice milk. Um, this pudding is called tavuk gözü, which is translated as chicken breast. And surprise, surprise, it does have chicken breast in it mm -hmm. um, to add texture, not flavor. And um, thin strands of chicken breast are there to add some texture. Um, and you make kazandibi by pouring a small portion of it um, in a tray and wait for the bottom of it to caramelize over the salt top. It develops this um, irresistible burnt sugar flavor. Um, then of course there's simit, our beloved ring-shaped bread uh, encrusted with sesame seeds. It's very close to a bagel, but it has a faint sweetness um, 
from a dip in uh, grape molasses before encrusting them with sesame seeds. So you should definitely try that as well. And I have a recipe in my book, actually, two recipes, one sourdough and one yeasted. Yes. It's something I want to try. It looks yeah. wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I showed, it to, I showed it to my wife and she's like, yeah, you got to make that. So I definitely have to. <laughs> yeah, it looks wonderful. Now, when you were here, did you try the California pistachios and how do they compare to the Turkish pistachios? Nothing would be Turkish pistachios for sure. I okay. mean, and also, um, I think also the, the form and uh, way you find it in the supermarket, for instance, can you find unsalted pistachios in the US? Not I don't really. think many places or um, already shelled. Uh, I mean, you, you can find it shelled, but you cannot find it blanched. Right. Uh, for instance, bright green, we can, you can find it here as well. I mean, you have all sorts of it, salted, unsalted. Um, and of course the flavor, there are certain varieties uh, you cannot find in the US. So definitely you should try them as well. I'll make sure you taste everything here. <laughs> okay, that sounds wonderful. I, I, I will take you up on that. I do want to visit. Um, I wanted to talk about the Golden Girls because it's something mm -hmm. that I've, my wife has recently been watching the Golden Girls a lot. Like, I think I've seen all the episodes at least three times. She, like I asked her, I said, you've seen all the episodes. Do you want to watch them again? She looked at me like I was crazy. Like, of course, I want to watch them again. She says, we're going to keep watching them forever. And I said, okay, just want to know. But so I've been Same getting here. very used to it. Yeah. So what is it? What is important? How did they become a touchstone for you? Um, actually, this goes right back to my first day in San Francisco. Um, and I remember it like yesterday. Um, my student visa, as I told you, had arrived only 10 hours before my flight departed. So I was already stressed out and um back then there were no direct flights to san francisco from istanbul so that meant you have to take a two-leg 20-hour flight and right after i landed i had to check into the material and went straight to the school for the orientation which i was late for and um, on my way back to the motel i got lost and spent hours walking all the while carrying a backpack full of I don't know, documents, books, etc. And um, imagine walking from USF, which is in inner Richmond, to downtown oh, yeah. and back. Oh my um, God, you must have been exhausted. Yeah. By the time I was back in the room, it was like midnight. Oh no. And I was completely drained. And I took a shower, threw myself on the bed, and turned the TV on. And there, there they were, um, four familiar faces eating cheesecake in their kitchen. Um, I was thousands of miles away from friends and family and everything was strange and unfamiliar, but um, suddenly I was filled with comfort and warmth when I watched them. And, I, and then I learned that, you know, um, there was a channel called, um, I don't remember the channel's name, but they were broadcasting two episodes back to back, I think three times a day something like that. And from then on, there hasn't been a single day that I haven't watched the show, maybe 300 times per each episode. But they're becoming so big, I think worldwide now, millennials are getting into them and young, like mm -hmm. my stepdaughter is into them, like, so, and like they sell 
merchandise. You can get Golden Girls socks and like tchotchkes. <laughs> it's really surreal. All the different things they sell. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, do you have a favorite Golden Girl? Do you identify with any one of them specifically? I absolutely have a favorite Golden Girl. Um, my favorite Golden Girl is Rose Nyland, played by the amazing Betty White, who will yes. turn 100 next January, by the way. She's amazing. She's a force of nature and just a really good actress. I loved her work um, since I saw her in the Mary Tyler Moore show back in the 70s. And she's always been very Mm -hmm. underrated. And she's just a national treasure. We love her. Um, What's next for you, Jenk? What what are you going to be working on next or what are you working on now? Um, I mean, ideally, I'd like to write cookbooks for the rest of my life. for my next books, I have many ideas in mind, but I feel like having my mind set on a list of recipes um, I have to develop slows me down and puts an unnecessary pressure on myself. So I've decided to work on recipes I want to make every week. So, and I hope it becomes a list of cohesive recipes that I can then turn to a book in the end. That's, that's, that's how I um, decided I should do. Well, I, I really want to recommend everybody listening that they go out and get the Artful Baker. They're going to be happy they did because it's just a treasure of a cookbook and they'll, they'll love it to death like I did. Thank you, Dean. Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you and I hope we get a chance to talk more in the future. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Jenk Somnasoy, who's written the Arthur Baker cookbook. And if you get a chance, um, is also his Cafe Fernando blog is up and running still, and it's wonderful. Uh, you would want to give that a look. We, we include um, links for both the book and uh, his website in our bio, so check that out. Coming up on Monday, we're going to have Emily Winston from Joy Pick Bagel. And uh, she's a wonderful person to talk to. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to her. And I think the morning I recorded the conversation, I actually got to visit Boychik Bagels, which hands down has the best bagels I've had in my entire life. And you would have uh, in your entire life if you had them. Um, Nobody would dispute this ever. Uh, Boychik Bagels is the best of the best. You can't get any better than that. And I've been lucky enough to be able to see them uh, being made up close and personal. So really felt blessed by my conversation with Emily Winston. I recommend that you get a chance to listen to that conversation. And if you live in the Bay Area and you have not visited Boychuk Bagels yet, well, you're missing out. So that's on Monday. So until then, I hope you have a great weekend and happy cooking. If you like my podcast and want to contribute, we have a link on the website information where we have the bios for our guests and you can contribute to buy me a coffee which is a website that you can um, basically give tips to the host of podcast and other platforms if you like so if you want to leave me um, a tip to purchase a coffee i appreciate your gratitude um, if you enjoy my podcast please um, let other people know about it uh, share the information on social media or tell a friend about it thank you very much Thank you.